You're listening to DraftKings Network. Juju, for the first time ever, I, I scheduled an email to you and didn't send you a thing when I was done at 1.30 in the morning. I was like, I'm not bothering him. <laughs> Is that good? I, I, lear- I learned how to schedule emails like two weeks ago. It's great. It's that little it's the little drop down button next to the yeah. send button. And I, I tend to do emails at very weird times of day. So like it's eleven thirty at night and I'm going through emails. So I love now I have like seven emails scheduled for eight AM the next morning. I feel like there's gotta be a safe space for like alerting uh, uh, fellow employees of things after hours is it like text is obviously there's a time when texting should stop but i feel like emails Mm -hmm. and slacks like just turn the notifications off i should be able to put something in slack at 1 a.m and not feel bad about it right there has to be some safe space that's 24 hours i feel like if you want to talk to me you should text me because if you're relying on me checking that slack when i'm in every slack I'm muting that motherfucker at a certain point. (laughs) Even at three in the morning? I'm just saying if I need to put something in it. Like Juju's Juju. I I, I know for real, for real. Like on this call right here just happens to be the only people at the entire Metal Art Media that lets me know their podcast comes out tomorrow. (laughs) Like you, Chris, and Billy are the only people, bro. So I appreciate it. I'm glad y'all are here to say thank you guys. I love you My Slack doesn't work on Fridays. Yeah, Wait, on Fridays? No. It was I, the update. Yeah. No, Tony, it's actually picture day. Today's like on Zoom. We're doing Zoom pictures today. Actually. Oh, good. I got my background already. <laughs> my hat's in the other room. Your Slack doesn't work on Friday. You, you need to like do like no, a nine a.m. nine a.m. to two p.m. on Fridays. Can 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 we can we negotiate for a window that your Slack works on Fridays? No, but here's see here's the thing. Like Juju texts me, Bailey texts me, Chris Cody texts me, everybody texts me. Don't we don't Slack me on Fridays. Only text me on Fridays. <laughs> I feel like and I need to okay. like I need to create like a calendar or a, or a Google Doc where <laughs> here is the uh, the allotted hours when I can Before text or slack. text email uh-huh. or Slack all of you and then I, I'll know I'll know my boundaries. Text me whenever. Don't Slack me on Fridays. I always text me if you want me to know it. Better text me if you don't care about texty. it. <laughs> I'm not texting <laughs> about work after like a normal hour. Like I just I'm like nah. He has his what's life a normal to live. hour, Billy? What's a normal hour? Hmm. Nine to five. Depending on the day, right? So, like, weekdays is, like, a little different, but, like, a Friday, like, I'll slack it. And if you see it, you see it. And if you don't. <laughs> slack is when you want somebody to let – you want a paper trail to know that somebody saw something. Exactly. But not that you actually want them you to see. Slack you is want snitch lane. That's wow. what that is. Snatch is slack. For, slack is for snitches. Slack is where you want your boss – you want your boss to see something you exactly. told someone in Slack. Okay. I'm not, trying to tell, I'm not trying to tell Tony this in Slack. If I'm writing something to Tony in a main Slack, I want, like, Dan and Stugatz no, and Bimmel to everybody to no. Wait, I want everyone. <laughs> so wait, so what's the, so then not even like a Slack DM, like don't even bother with that. Just text you. Yeah, For Slack DM is text. Okay, yeah. right. that's a text. People who put you when they put it in that, I don't want to put our names out there. Well, but when we put certain shit in certain <laughs> Slacks, 
I'd be like, look at your snitch ass. Okay. Wow. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I, I did that to Juju not thinking like two weeks ago, and I realized that I did it. <laughs> I didn't I mean was, you right there. I felt so bad. No, I felt so bad about it, though, because like right after he's like, he, he's called me, he's like, can you just text me next time? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was like, that wasn't even intended for you. That was for like, someone really? else. Slack hey, is for everybody guys... who has Apple and one person has Android. That's what Slack is for. Uh, Billy's like, I wasn't being passive aggressive towards you there. It was meant to someone else. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to like, hey, Mystery Hey. 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 Especially on, on the new Macs where, I mean, I guess all Macs have had this, but when you can text from your computer. At a, I don't at like le- that. What? Oh, I haven't mean, gone to this. I, I see you it. and Jessica. I see you and Jessica doing this. I haven't like gone to this yet. Is this something I'm you in- recommend? No. Why? Why not? No, because I've got too much stuff going on on my phone to have it also infiltrate my laptop. Huh. Hmm. Yeah, I, like, I'm when, in I, way too many group chats that things right. are happening, and I don't have control over them, so I can't put that on a You are more list. vulnerable, Witty. Like, I've seen some things between Hawk and a Pelp just pop up, and I'm like, oh, I mean, it's it's popping Whoa. up. Like, my eyes are already here. Like, I'm just saying, like... Well, you like to look at other people's texts, though, Chris. You know what? Well, no, no, I, I like to I, watch I must people admit, text. I, I must, I must uh, admit, I, I do as well. I'll, 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 do a little, I'll do a little, like, kind of, like, my... I, I try eye. and practice. I try and practice where I keep my head still, but my eyes move. Uh, that 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 way I I can I can sort of be a little bit of a I, I did that on the plane the other day. Uh, somebody had these like large. If you have large texts, you are saying to the person next to you, "Read, <laughs> read my <this>. text." <laughs> it was like one of these Hold old people. Blind. It was one of these old people where like one sentence took up the entire screen, and I'm just like, I'm watch, I'm reading your text right now. I didn't tell them, but I was just like, I can't not. It might as well be a digital advertisement for your texts. <laughs> I have I a question re- regarding. Uh, yeah. Chris Whittingham's text history and text chats that Chris Cody sees appear on yeah. his computer. I'm really bitter. I'm not in the Appel Hawkman one. I don't deserve to be. I just want to be. This is kind of this is kind of where I'm headed in a, in a way because uh, I had this conversation with you briefly yesterday. So Panthers opening night happened the other day. Yeah. And I saw Chris Whittingham and I saw Josh Appel and I saw Roy. We're all. Oh. FOMO. In the in the Hawkman suite, and I was wondering, and I was looking wow. around, and I didn't remember. So I asked Chris when I saw him yesterday. I go, hey, were you at the were you in the suite yesterday also at the Panthers game? He's like, no. And I'm like, oh, sorry, like I, I didn't remember. I legit <laughs> I not remember. Back. I couldn't have been. I, not that I would have been invited because you know, I don't really get that invite. No, man, Chris, that's why you gotta pick Chris, up your press pass, man. You gotta. I only get it if like Hawk, if Hawk like Wait. sees me. If he if Hawk like sees me at Funky Buddha, he'll be like, come by. But I never get the text. Are you at I never Funky get Buddha the pre- more there just so you can actually get the invite. Be like, I'm gonna hang out at Funky Buddha for like a period, and then well, I'll now, now I'm now I'm starting to realize why it is that Roy keeps showing up the Twin Peaks shows every oh. like, couple weeks. <laughs> Wait, how is that? <laughs> What's the Wait, so up there, Roy? Laying the groundwork for the beer. sweet invite. Wait, hold on a second. Okay. So, Roy, you you just go with a credential and just walk into the suite. Is that what everybody does? Like, surely you guys are actually invited to the suite. You don't just show up. Yeah, Hawk invites me. So, um, the way I'm able to get in without him transferring a ticket is uh, I have my credential. I'm there anyway. I'm in the press box. Yeah. So, during either the first or second period, I walk down to the credential abuse, probably. Ah, probably not. I mean, the, the, cre- cre- the, the credential the allows you to get anywhere in the arena. So, yeah. what difference is it? Not make? anywhere. Not the anywhere. intention is not to be, you know, 
rubbing elbows what, in the suites. Exactly. What am I? What am I? Period. One of my favorite things to do with a credential is sort of like, no, I'm going to a place that I don't belong, but but sort of present it with such ferocity and such confidence. Just that, with one of these. Uh, that, Here you go. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh. Tony, you disappear. My, my, <laughs> no, my background's blurry. Oh, yeah, that sorry. would have been a sick move if Woody just disappeared. Like, <laughs> I did that. I did that at the Formula One race. <laughs> I did that at the Formula One race because, like, it was the first time, and so there were a lot of people that were just standing there that I had no idea what was going on. So I just said, "Oh yeah, no, I belong here," and I'm just like walking through places that people paid. And you're in a suit, right? Well, yeah, that also. Uh, but like, I would I, people helps. paid thousands of dollars for access to these places, and I just got in with a piece of paper because they're like, I, I, uh, "No one told me no, so go ahead." That's my move. I look like. 20 people i look like every time i walk by somebody in an event they be like is that uh, they can't put their finger on it so i use that time right there to walk past security like hey security yeah. like me and chris when we was in the uh the boxing match yes we went down to the bottom yeah. because we yeah. was confident <laughs> act wow. like you belong witty taught me that just act like you belong Exactly right. like you belong at, uh, at at Super Bowl. We were doing that stuff. You just sort of going through places and you know mm-hmm. walking through. Remember when we did the NFL experience thing and we did all those drills terribly? And you just sort of like <laughs> like oh yeah, there was. They told us it was a media sneak peek. If you showed your credential and yeah. who, who's going to say no? Because people th- were those, so confused. People yeah. haven't been briefed on like what exactly the various levels of credential are. Yeah. So as long as you sort of say I have a credential that looks legit, then you could just go anywhere. Also, and it sounds horrible to say, some people just don't care. Like, yeah. okay, like, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to fight with you about this <laughs> right. for an hour. Like, this is a part-time thing. The Super Bowl's in town for, like, two yeah. weeks. Like, whatever. I'm yeah. contracted to be here for three days at $14 an hour. Go ahead. Yeah. What's the furthest you guys have made it with using that move? <laughs> I know Roy, I saw Roy at the Stanley Cup on ice. <laughs> yeah, but I was, yeah. No, I was I don't know if anything so. beats that. <laughs> I was credentialed. I was credentialed. Right? Well, I know so you I were credentialed, but yeah, like, but I don't you know. If, you're not credentialed were you to be supposed on the ice? to be on the ice? Were yes, I just, am actually. Okay, credentialed okay. to be on the ice. All right. Everybody else. Thank you very much. I, ha- I have actually an opposite story of that. So, like, when I was an intern uh, at CBS4 down here, there was a, I believe it was a Sunday night football game. And it was the Dolphins against the Jets, right? So I had a credential uh, that like had very limited information on it. And I was going as an intern, so I was supposed to help with like production because the local affiliate is the one that did like the, the post game show and all of that stuff, right? So yeah. like they had a show that they did after, so like they needed me there, like getting stats, handing them papers, basically just like a runner running things back and forth from them while they do the broadcast live from the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I get there before. They hand me my credential. I go out on the field, so I'm, like, on the sidelines, right? And then the people that I was with disappeared. And this was my first time going to cover the Dolphins game. And I I looked at it, and it said something like no tunnel access or something like that. So I was like, shit. (laughs) Like, what am I supposed to do? And I swear to God, I didn't know what to do. So I was basically, no, I was doing loser laps very slowly up and down the sideline for the entire game because I had absolutely no idea where I was supposed to be. (laughs) And after the game, they ran into me and they were like, you're here? Like, where have you been? We've needed you all day. Like, what were you doing? And I was like, 
well, my ticket says that I couldn't go, like, no locker room access, no t-. And they're like, just stand over here and can Bo Camper these papers when we need to, and we're going to talk about this next week. So I spent, like, a full Sunday night football game just on the sidelines, but, like, not even, like, close that I could see anything, like, hiding behind coolers and stuff. Because I didn't know where to be, and I didn't want to get caught and kicked out of that area because I had no idea where to go. It was the, a mess. The, the, the policy at, at NFL games, unless you, you have a camera, I believe, is like you can walk onto the field on like what is essentially the final possession of the game so that you can go down with like five minutes to go. But I don't think you can stay there the whole time. So you, you probably would have been chucked out if anyone had noticed. Yeah, I was I was moving really slowly and just kind of like standing next to like groups. That must you have been a I mean? frightening three hours. <laughs> it was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. I was about to go uh, celebrate with the Celtics on the court after game seven. But I was with Dan, and I was like, oh, this will look corny as hell. But we had professors. I would have been on all of their oh. celebration pictures in there. You know what I mean? My best, experience, I my best experience with this was after the 2013 finals. I was covering the finals for 790 at the time. And there was a line to go into the locker room with all of the media and you're walking in and you know there's all the you know commemorative uh trophy whatever things around the place and it's really cool and outside the locker room was drake and he was <sighs> unable to enter because he did not have the appropriate credentials this was i guess pre him being famous enough or powerful enough to just sort of barge in wherever he wanted and security was legit barring him i'm i'm walking past him being barred from <laughs> uh, from from going into the locker room, and I'm just like flying past Drake, and he's just stood out there, and it's wonderful because I just get to watch him, uh, you know, just struggle with security and be unable to celebrate with the Miami Heat. Nobody has ever sounded whiter saying Drake than Chris Wood again. <laughs> oh wow, Drake, okay. Drake. But, but also, <laughs> but also, oh, but, oh, explain yourself. Hey, yo, but but can, can we can we say that Drake is a very white name though? It is a white name. Drake know. is a white His name. His first name is even whiter. Aubrey. Aubrey. <laughs> yeah, Aubrey, yeah. That is yeah. true. Drake is what? But it's just the way you said it. But yeah, Aubrey Graham's true. having a moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking yeah, of yeah. having a moment, Tony, 10-day Tony coming to the A-Town. Yes. I'm in, I'm in here right now. I'm in Atlanta right now. Oh, man. You look like you're outside. in a you in You brought all your shoes? Oh, man. I had the hotel room. Get well met right now, sir. Hey. Uh... Scratch that. Nobody, don't pull up on that. Uh, I don't know anything. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't see anyone. But yeah, we're going to be at Big Sky tomorrow, man. Come on out, man. If you're in the area, Big Sky. What time are we going to be there, Tony? Two o'clock. Two o'clock, man. Saturday, a little Catch midday. A little midday card. A yeah, little, 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 little matinee. A little matinee yeah. UFC. Yes, UFC sir. 280, biggest card of the year. And me and Juju will be posted up at Big Sky. We'll be watching college football. We'll obviously be watching the fights and stuff. Drinking. go with the boys. Yeah. <laughs> What's on Mystery Crate this week? Ah, oh, man. This. Darth Amin. The man, not the myth. You know what I mean? Salute that boy Amin. <laughs> we love Amin. He always come through. Uh, I think it's, it was Andor. They did yeah, Andor, Andor. Andor. So, uh, by the way, this week's Mystery Curry does not just feature a review of Andor, but it also oh. features a review of Rings of Power, currently on Prime Video, with Anthony Mays and our very own Jessica Smetana. We're going full nerd this oh, week. Hell on no. Mystery oh, hell no. No, no, hell yeah, no. What do you mean, hell no? Nerd. Don't listen to that. Nerd. Number one, I watch every second of Rings of Power. I told wow. Jessica Smetana in the text, I said, hey, if y'all review that show, I'm with you. Two Americas and number three, uh -huh. 
Anthony Mays, get the fuck out of here. Fuck Anthony Mays. Oh, oh wow. Jesus. Oh, yeah. He owes you money. And yeah. I beat his ass in fantasy this week. Yeah. Wow. yeah. He's up out of here. Mm-hmm. But listen to review. his podcast. Here's a review of Andor and Rings of Power. I love sports. I love beer. I love watching sports and drinking beer at the same time. So when I turn on a hockey game and need something to quench my thirst, I reach for the beer that only has 96 calories. Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste that you want, and less of the stuff that you don't. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Remember the best vacation you've ever taken? Make your next one even better with Get Your Guide. With Get Your Guide, you can book over 100,000 unforgettable experiences in the U.S. and around the world. Want to see the Grand Canyon from a helicopter? They got you. Watching a wrestling match in Mexico City? No problem. Or how about a guided tour of Rome's ancient ruins? Wherever you're going, whatever you're into, book your next travel experience at GetYourGuide.com. Welcome to Darth Amin's Rule of Two. My name's Darth Amin. That over there is my apprentice, Darth Cornpuzzle, a.k.a. Anthony Mays. And we got episode seven of Andor, guys. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've loved this episode. Without further ado, let's jump right in. We start with Cyril at home with his mom. He's still a sad boy, Ugh, Maze. So sad. Staring out the window, staring out his project window like Nas. Maybe that could be me up there someday. Part of your world. <laughs> mom is still nagging him. Oh, man. Relentlessly. Family Dynamics Star Wars is back. She's criticizing what he's wearing to his big interview that Uncle Harlow hooked up. He says he got his thing tailor-made. She hears his caller saying, look at me. I don't believe in myself. I am desperate for approval. That's a lot of work for a caller to be doing. That caller is singing, I bet you. But this little nagging session is interrupted by some old-fashioned newscaps position. Maze, is this the first instance of newscaps position in Star Wars history. Definitely. A broadcaster sitting at a desk? What is this? That threw me off. There was, I want to say, in either Book of Boba Fett or Mandalorian, a scene where they're watching the Death Star exploding on a hologram. That's kind of like a newscast, but this is like straight up, 
Walter Cronkite. The dude is looking right into the camera. Yeah. And he's telling us about the Aldani heist, which Cyril takes great interest in. Cut to the ISB. Spoiler alert. It's Wolf Ularin. The big dog. You might remember him from A New Hope when Vader chokes out the one dude and says, I find your lack of faith disturbing. The other dude in the background dressed in all white. Wolf Ularin, an ISB higher up. He was also in the Clone Wars when he was an admiral in the Republic Navy. I believe his battalion was assigned to... Anakin Skywalker. So we see him a lot in Clone Wars. He is the head of the ISB. This is the J. Edgar Hoover of Star Wars. And he gives us this great monologue maze. The criminals responsible for last night's atrocity on Aldani think they've taken the Empire by surprise. We know better. We know the real shock will be when they discover how ready and eager we are to respond. To be prepared. The only question we need to answer is how tight to close our fist. And I said, woo You feel the tension in the air right now? And that, of course, is a reference to what Leia told Grand Moff Tarkin. The more you tighten your grip, Tarkin, the more star systems will slip through your fingers. They're tightening. They're going to start charging a tribute tax five times the amount stolen from Aldani for any sector that harbors... Rebel activity. Mm. Also, no more use of traditional celebrations as a guise for rebel activities. All sorts of new rules and harsher penalties. It's the Patriot Act, I mean. Yes, the Public Order Resentencing Directive, which is basically, as May said, the Patriot Act. Horde. And he's enacting this because Wolf Yularen spoke to the Emperor last night. Name drop. Oh, my God. Look at me, Louie, <laughs> for Wolf Yularen. He's freed our hands of all kind of regulations with regards to search and seizure and all types of other shit. They'll have all the resources they need at ISB to do whatever they want to do. Dedra walks out and she's complaining we're treating what happened on Aldani like a robbery. What would you call it? An announcement. Oh. And at this point, Maze, I wrote, she reminds me of Carrie Matheson. Sure. From Homeland because she's almost manic in her dogged search for a truth that she thinks everyone else is ignoring. Also, they're both blonde. How about that? We go to Luthen's store. And at Luthen's store, we get a surprise visit from Mon Mothma, unannounced. Yeah. Comes in. She says, hey, my husband didn't really like this thing. What else you got? And when they're in there, it's revealed. She's like, yo, did you hear about what happened to Aldani? Was that you? And Luthen is ass off. <laughs> is it true? Oh, my God. Killed me. The way he does that, I laugh so hard. Her driver's outside. The doors are closed. He can't hear what's happening in there. But they are doing a great job of disguising this conversation. That letting the driver see. By the way, I don't know if you saw, Maze, in the background of their conversation, there's a Jedi Temple Guard helmet sitting on one of the shelves. Luthen really runs an Easter egg shop. He sure does. Nothing but nonstop Easter eggs at Luthen's. Luthen admits that he was behind it. She says, why? He says, revolutions are expensive. She says, I told you I'm doing everything I can. And Luthen... Cold-hearted says, your everything seems to be all about bringing in a savior to access your family funds, and Mon Mothma is shooketh. She's Mon Shukma. This is a tough scene for Mon Mothma, because 
she's getting looped out of what we believe is her plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know down the line that she's easily the most important figure in the rebellion and at this point Luthen is cutting her out of the action that and also she clearly does not support the action she right. feels like this is way too drastic of a move and you're basically turning up the heat on me and i thought we were going to build a network she wants to do things in the legislative way she wants to build a rebellion that's based on ideology not necessarily overt action we also know that later on this rears its head during rogue one when we hear them talk about saw guerrera and his tactics as being too extreme so this highlights some of the fissures in the rebellion that some people are like yo there's a political way to get what we want and some people like luton and to a greater extent saw guerrera feel like you need more action as Luthen says, has anyone ever made a weapon that wasn't used? He says he told her that turning back would be impossible. The network's been built. It's up. It grows or it dies. And he is pleased with the way that the Empire is taking this. They need the fear. They need the Empire to overreact. The time has come to force their hand. He wants that. She's like, the Emperor's going to go crazy. He's like, good. Great. Because he wants, as you said, force their hand to be more draconian, to be more reactive. And that, in turn, will, in Luthen's mind, convince more people to join the cause. Mon Mothma says that people will suffer. And Luthen says, that's the plan. Yeah. It's not great. He doesn't care about the little people, whereas Mon Mothma, we know, is always vouching for the people on Gorman. And this actually aligns with her political leanings as she cares about the people that suffer. And Luther does not. Cyril's on his interview. He's walking through the cubicle farm from hell. Oh, my God. So many cubicles. Nightmare. So many cubicles. Dude looks at his resume or whatever like, oh, you were on Pax Morlana. And Cyril just spills all the beans about his life. Yeah, I got fired because somebody got murdered. I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I feel like that was in the resume. I think that's why he felt the need to explain himself. I don't think he was coming in unprovoked <laughs> oversharing all that stuff i was punished for upholding the law again shout out to star wars theory i love his channel i learn a lot every time but he seems to think that this is the setup for cyril to become cassian's friend and i'm like what? dude can't you see this dude's whole life has turned to shit because of this dude there's no way he's gonna help the guy the guy on the interview says uh we can edit your record <laughs> we could clean all that shit up uncle harlow would approve They've got an immediate opening in fuel purity. Everything about this department, the Bureau of, was it Bureau of Measures? The Bureau of Standards. Oh my God, everything about it sounds ridiculously boring. Shout out to corporate life on Coruscant. Now we see Luthen's assistant. She's walking. She gets off the elevator with a sign in Arabic that says, mind the gap. We see stormtroopers just chilling in these subway hallways. She's on like one of the lower levels of Coruscant. Looking real shady as she walks around. Little Red Riding Hood. That's Clea. <laughs> Leia. Clea. Leia. Leda. We got a lot of Leia names in this. Dedra walks into the room and tells dude to wake up. Oh, attendant Felzonis. Sleeping on the job. Collar unbuttoned. With his tunic all messed up. You look sloppy, son. She tells him. Need a cross-reference of all the stolen 
avionics equipment and other secret imperial devices that have been stolen across all the sectors. And don't tell anybody, just bring it to me. Sinta's still on Aldani. She's got a shitty speeder and sees a Star Destroyer flying overhead. And that's it for Sinta. That's all we need to see from her. We know that she's up to something. But with the news reports, with the radio transmissions that Luthen hears... Essentially, they've rounded up everyone on Aldani. Yes. So whatever she's up to, it's probably not going to end well for her. Well, she's up to something because Luthen's assistant is a Clea, you said? Clea. Meets with Vel on one of these lower levels of Coruscant, and Vel, Mace, cleans up really good. She got the full Coruscant blowout. Her hair looks great. Makeup done, everything. She's out here killing it, and... Clea tells Vel, we have a loose end. Cassian Andor, you know him as Clem. You need to find him. Find him? You mean kill him? This is what a revolution looks like, Vel. She kind of echoes Luthen's more aggressive style towards this. I liked how Clea treated Vel really dismissively. How dare you send a message that's dangerous. No one cares about the dead people. Move on. It's not only that, but also Vel's trying to holler at her. What's Cinta doing? And Clea tells Vel, Cinta's doing what she's supposed to do. So clearly her mission is not over. And clearly her mission and her directives were made known only to her and not to anyone else on that little heist that we saw on Aldani. This dumb motherfucker went back to Ferrix? I told you. I tried to tell you. You said the block's too hot. Not too hot to go see mom one more time. Everyone told him the block's too hot. Yeah? <laughs> I'm not crazy. His mom, his ex, everyone's like, what are you doing here, you dumbass? Mom explains that Tim ratted him out and got killed. Cassian wants her to come with him. Well, first of all, the really interesting thing is when he knocks on the door and he says, since when do we lock the door? Indicating this dude is completely oblivious to how much has happened and changed as a result of his actions. Yeah. He's thinking it's like it's business as usual. Tells mom, I got enough credits to go anywhere we want. Get out of the cold and damp and find somewhere warm and easy. And I looked out my window and I was like, oh, you mean like Miami? Mm. Future callback. We're headed to the Miami of Star Wars very soon. Cut to Mon Mothma's cocktail party. She's connecting with her old friend from Chandrilla, Tay Colma. Tay Colma, who's a banker. And he does not like the vibes on Coruscant. No, he's not used to it. They do this casual, small talk exposition bullshit. Basically getting to the point where Bon Mothma's trying to hint at him, like, you know, we're up to some things here. I need a favor. He's like, is it personal or political? She says, political. And he says, well, then don't ask me that because I'll be honest with you. You will probably find my politics too extreme. I'm not really cool with this whole empire thing. Da, da, da. Doesn't know he's preaching not only to the choir, he's preaching to the pastor. Mm-hmm. We get the bratty teen again. Yes. May I be excused? And I'm like, oh, just go to your room. It's a difficult age. She wants to tell him something only three people in the galaxy know about, which is Luthen, Clea, and as we talked about before, Bail Organa, I mean. Yes. Little subtweet of our guy Bail. I liked it. I liked it very much. I actually did not consider Clea somehow. <laughs> Misogyny. I was like, <laughs> it's Mon Madma, it's Bail Organa, and it's Luthen. <laughs> you thought she was including herself. Yeah. Did that. Yeah. <laughs> She's reassured by his politics are too strong for her tastes, and she says, It's a lie. The Mon Mothma people think they know. 
It's a lie. It's a projection. It's a front. I've learned from Palpatine. I show you the stone in my hand. You miss the knife at your throat. Very cool line. She references the Grand Vizier. Mas Amida. Now, remember what we told you guys about Sly Moore, the bald-headed woman that's on Palpatine's left-hand side when he's addressing the Senate in Revenge of the Sith? Well, the guy with the horns on the right, that's old Masamita. He is a Grand Vizier or Grand Vizier, depending on how you want to pronounce that. She says, the Grand Vizier has infiltrated my separatist coalition meetings. My driver is an ISB plant and reports on my secret humanitarian programs. But really all that is, Maze, is just a bullshit front. She's surmised that as long as they think of her as just the annoying AOC of the Senate, mm-hmm. they won't suspect her of the real work she's doing. Terry Coma asks her, what kind of work is that? And she says, some other bullshit. And he says, you haven't answered my question. And I won't. You're better off not knowing. Or perhaps you'd find my politics a bit strong for your taste. And I said, call back. Ooh. She's going to install him as the chairman of the Chandrillan Charitable Outreach Program, which will get access to her family bank accounts and will appear to be benevolent and useless. Now things are starting to escalate. She is now starting to be a little bit more aggressive. And she wants to set up, as we said, a charity, which is basically a money laundering front for rebel activity that will allow Tay to come to Coruscant frequently as a board member. Her husband approaches and she says really quickly before he gets close, he doesn't know anything. He cannot be trusted. And I said, that's really selling it short. Yeah. The man is in bed with all of this empire shit. The whole time he's looking at her suspiciously, he's trying to see what she's up to. This is just the worst marriage. This scene is very much straight out of Pat Riley's press conference, smiling faces, hidden agendas. Same thing with that, the store with Luther. They're smiling and laughing as they're saying, are you for real? Like this shit is happening? Cut to Cassian. Gone to go see Bix. He's given us a shave and a haircut knock. Maze. 20 CB? Dare I say it? Intergalactic, though. Shave and a haircut. Two bits. That's the rhythm that he goes. Apparently, they got that in Star Wars. Yeah. Bix tells them, people blame you for what happened. You scam, you borrow, you lie, you disappear. And now the Empire is all over our asses. And he says, your crazy boyfriend tries to get me killed and I'm the villain. And I loved it. Again, incredulous Cassian Andor strikes again. Diego Luna, man, he could do a whole career of this shit, man. Just be like, what? <laughs> he basically gets his feelings hurt. He gets very butt hurt that everybody isn't thrilled to see him. Says, if you see Luthen again, tell him I held up my end of the bargain and I want him to forget about me. Basically, I don't want nothing to do with you. Then he leaves 12K in credits to cover all of his debts. Do you think that they'll send Vel to Bix? Is that the information that Luthen has is to send Vel to Ferrix? They certainly know that. Apparently, everybody knew that Cassian's a dumbass who'd come home. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. On his way out, he sees some stormtroopers. He has a flashback to Clem. Mm-hmm. It's actually clone troopers who are marching through Ferrix in this flashback. Shout out to those clone troopers. Unlike stormtroopers, they're very highly trained. And the reason they stop is because some young kids in the street throwing rocks at them, saying, long live the Republic. 
there's a part of this that reminds me very much of like an Israeli-Palestinian conflict, right? Like the kids with the rocks, and then here come these highly trained killers with the uh, rifles turning around and bad shit's about to happen. And Clem was trying to get everybody calmed down and chill, and instead, obviously that shit wasn't going to pop off for him. Marva doesn't want to move. A place the Imperials will never ruin is in her head, and she's staying for the rebellion, I mean. She talks about how for 13 years she couldn't walk through the square because that's where Clem was hung. But the day Aldani got raided, she did it, and she did it with a smile on her face. And the Aldani heist gave her hope to stand up against the Empire and that there are people who are willing to do whatever it takes. She says all of this not knowing, of course, that Cassian was the one that did it. Cassian at one point has a shit-eating grin on his face, I guess, right? But the point is, he wants to leave. She won't leave. She says, you can't stay and I can't go. The little droid says, can I speak now? And she says, shut the fuck up, Milk. Yeah, B2 Emo doesn't have representation. I do like this, that she's praising the bravery of the heroes, not knowing that her son was there. And Cassian is still just dismissive of it. He calls it a robbery. Just like Dedra said the ISB is calling it a robbery. He's still not seeing the big picture. And I do love this line. She tells him to go find peace. He says, I won't have peace. I'll be worried about you all the time. That's just love. Nothing you can do about that. She also tells him to stop searching for your sister. It's a fantasy. There were no survivors on Canari. Let it go. Do you think he's going to let it go? I mean... Nope. And do I think that his sister is dead? No, I don't either. In between all this, we get a flashback of him charging some clone troopers with a stick. While Clem is hanging in the square. We are back in an ISB meeting. This guy Jung seems really incompetent. Bunch of random jargon going on there. So much jargon. Jung's sector includes Ord Mantell. Ord Mantell, you remember, is where an Empire Strikes Back. Han Solo tells Leia, I got into some bullshit with a bounty hunter on Ord Mantell. But more than that, it's also the home base of the Shadow Collective, which was the organized crime syndicate that Darth Maul created after he got the robotic legs and all that. He became a crime boss. Part of guys says, I'm correct. Your approval is heartening in the most sarcastic way possible. Loved it. Our guy, Doc Brown, calls out Dedra in front of everybody. Puts her shit on blast. Some sniping back and forth. She used the Imperial Emergency Act to collect data without sanction. The poor directive. Yeah, she changed the acronym here. I'm not really sure what happened. Doc Brown says we have sectors for a reason. You know, Partagas himself created the sectors, and she said, do you really think the rebels care about the lines we draw on our maps? So the way that the rebels take something from one sector and then use it in another to confuse ISB, it reminds me of how serial killers used to just drive to a different county and start doing the same thing over and over again because the counties didn't communicate. There's another more 9-11-y connection there, which is before the creation of the Department of Homeland Security, all of the different governmental agencies, the FBI, the CIA, the DEA, the ATF, USCIS, INS, they didn't communicate with one another. So part of the post 9-11 America that we have was the streamlining of sharing of information across different agencies systems either change or die sir which is pretty intense that she says that because she's basically shitting on part thing the delayed sir killed me 
I loved it. Then she remembered decorum at the very end of that. Yep. And he just kind of raises an eyebrow casually like, oh, okay. Doc Brown says, you were reprimanded for this. She explains, I was not reprimanded for it. I was told to bring cold hard data. He tells her to present it. She presents it. Doc Brown says, yeah, well, you still went behind people's back and did all types of shit. Can you imagine if everybody played as loose with the rules as you? Part of Gaz hits us with a film noir and sides with Dedra. Oh, my God. Wondering where we'd all be if we showed the same endeavor as Supervisor Miro. She's even shocked by that film noir. He salutes the provocative exchange of ideas. It reminds me of British Parliament, the way they talk to each other. Mm -hmm. They're shitting on each other, but they're using very polite language the whole time. Dedra throws it at Doc Brown and says his accusations have more to do with self-preservation, which is pretty true. Yeah, no, it's right. Because this is all the internal politics of the empire. As we've discussed several times, Everyone is just trying to get a better pose, get a better title, et cetera, et cetera. After the meeting, he pulls her aside and says, well played, watch your back. Then we get some sick Star Wars tropical house music. Love this music. Oh, hook it to my veins of me. Yeah, I want all of it. I want a whole soundtrack of this. And we are in the Miami beach of Star Wars, ladies and gentlemen. It's called Neomos. We cut to a bedroom where there's a beautiful woman waking up half naked as it's Star Wars for Adult is back. There's a shower running in the background. She's calling for someone named Keith. And we see that Keith is none other than Cassian. He just got the draws and now he's <laughs> trying to get some credits out of his secret case. He changed his name to Keith Gergo. Yep. Really sounds like Grief Karga, but remix. Also, his name's Keith. And she wants him to go get Pizzo's. And Revnog. Don't forget the Bezos and the greeny green Revnog. Sounds like drugs to me. It sounds like drugs, but it also reminded me, for some reason, of Beer Fest. (laughs) When they're tasting the beer for the first time. You like the greeny green ones. Magical. Cassian takes a break from clapping cheeks and goes on a little walk to go to the store. He's walking along the beach. People are sunbathing. And some street urchins, I don't know what you want to call it. They're climbing over the fence and they're running. And in the background, we see the return of something we haven't seen since Rogue One. Mm. Shore Troopers. Yeah. These are the stormtroopers that have like a tan, sandy looking thing. So the guy's yelling, stop, stop. And Cassian is doing his best to look as suspicious as fucking possible. Yep. Stop looking around like a dumbass. As he's walking, he gets stopped by a short trooper. We see Imperial probe droids flying around. The short trooper does the time-honored tradition of a cop stopping you without telling you what they're stopping you for. Are you part of it? Part of what? I'll ask the questions. So when more guys run by, says, friends of yours, says, what? You heard me. I'm just a tourist. Tourists don't run, but I'm not running. You got that right. That window is shut. I loved all of this asshole cop interaction that's happening here. We see a KX unit coming up the stairs. Won't lie, Maze. I was hoping it was K2SO. I was like, oh my God, he's here. It very well could be. I mean, he just hasn't been reprogrammed yet. Yeah, but they what, reprogrammed the voices too? No. This one had an asshole voice. The guy says, <laughs> hang on to this one. The KX droid basically does not understand colloquialisms. Chokes him out, lifts him off the ground. Tell him you mean what? Tell him you mean what? Cut to the court. Judge eating space pistachios, your favorite, I mean. Yes, it is. And they are doling out sentences left and right without much due process. There's even a regular fan. Yes. This felt like a normal Earth shitty court and yes she's moving quickly she is not even pretending to try anybody cassian's 
Sentence used to be six months, but she gives him six years. Tells him to take it up with the emperor. Yep. I'm just a tourist. I'm not even supposed to be here. I'm not even supposed to be here today. That was the vibe every time he said it. I just kept thinking about clerks. But also, as he says that, she says to him, don't make me tack on a resisting judgment charge. And all of this just shows the extreme corruption and Mm. how crazy the empire is. And now we're beginning to see because... In the Star Wars movies and other shows, we know the Empire is bad because we're seeing soldiers and armies and shit. But the day-to-day life, how bad it is for citizenry, we don't really see that. Now we're seeing, oh my God, this this is an awful place to live. And as Cassian finds out, there is no place where the Empire can't find you, it doesn't touch you. So he gets his six-year sentence, the evil bureaucracy holds up. And speaking of evil bureaucracy, your boy Cyril Mm -hmm. is out here. Filing TPS reports for Lumberg. Um, yeah. Gonna need you to come in on Saturday, Cyril. Yeah. Maze, do you have any final closing thoughts? It's great. We're clearly getting K2SO out of this trip yep. to Niamos. I want more Tropical House music. He's going to jail now. That's true. <laughs> we're not getting him with that shit. Well, we're getting a jailbreak somehow. How that happens will be interesting. He's clearly not going to be in jail for six years. I'm most curious about how Cyril is going to reconnect. Because our idea was that he would get plugged into ISB. And that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. We've been teasing that storyline along. I'm curious to see how it jumps back into the main plot. Next week, we'll review, obviously, episode eight of Andor, but also Tales of the Jedi comes out next week, May. So I don't know if you want to do a little bit on that. They're mostly 15-minute shorts, so we can maybe highlight some highlights of that. Sounds good. All right, for Darth Corn Puzzle, I'm Darth Amin telling you, has anyone ever made a weapon that wasn't used? but we are giving you some bonus content this week. I'm Anthony Mays. I'm joined by Jessica Smetana. We are here to talk about the first season of the Amazon series, The Rings of Power. Spoiler warning ahead. Twists will be revealed. Plot mechanics will be divulged. Jessica, your Rings of Power thoughts have been confined to one minute to rule them all for weeks now. <laughs> we freed you from the shackles of nobody understanding what you're talking about. And we're just going to take a temperature real quick. Having finished the season, all eight episodes, where are you at? Well, overall, I enjoyed the show. It was fun to watch. It was compelling. It kept me engaged. 
I liked some characters more than others. I thought some episodes were better than others. Some storylines were better than others. Some dialogue was better than others. But overall, I feel positively about it. And I'm probably biased because I would like anything made in Tolkien's world for the most part. So that helps, certainly. But I did think there were a lot of threads that I'm compelled by and excited to see play out over four more seasons. I agree with a lot of what you said. I had to divide my thoughts somehow for the structure of this podcast. And I went with positives, negatives, and then this amorphous, gigantic, questionable section of a lot of things that partially worked, partially did not. It felt like we started really slow. We had to set up so much in so many different places. I can imagine if you are not familiar with Middle Earth, that being a slog. And then it felt incredibly rushed at the end. Yeah. And my biggest conundrum was how much time we spent in Numenor in the middle of the season compared to how little time we spent in Eregion at the end. While there was definitely plenty that I enjoyed and I'm excited to talk about it, I left it wanting more. It sucks. And now we're looking at a nice, hearty slumber until it returns. Hopefully it'll keep occupying space in my mind until then. Yeah, I think that one of my main issues with the finale was the pacing. And I didn't really mind the pacing of the first two episodes because, like you said, there was a lot of scene and character setup that needed to be done. Like we met a whole handful, couple handfuls of characters in two episodes and had to give them all personalities and the starts of storylines. And we went to all these places we'd never seen before in Middle Earth. And then the finale, all of a sudden we had Rings of Power and it happened very quickly. There was a big reveal with Halbrand as Sauron and then it ended. And so, yeah, like you said, there's some things I'm like, well, I want more of that. And I think that's a good thing because if you don't care about it, then you're not left being excited to see more of it when the next season comes out. But it was also like, I wish we had tied a few more loose ends. I wish we know where Isildur is when the finale ends and what the thing with the Palantir was at the end in Numenor, right? Yeah. Like there are a couple things where I'm like, hmm, I feel like a tighter script would have answered those questions or alluded to those answers as something you're going to see later. And instead we just didn't like Beric is off somewhere. Isildur, we know he's alive because he ends up getting the one ring after the war that we see at the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring. So we know he's there, but what's he doing right now? Who knows? Can't even really call them cliffhangers because they just left it. They just walked away from it. <laughs> Isildur is apparently under burning debris for an entire episode, all the way through them sailing back to Numenor. And now it's going to be a year and a half two years and we're going to pick up with him right. with some debris. Also his sister. Yes. She reveals a Palantir that was in the first 15, 20 minutes of the finale and never goes back to it. And those characters are both from the Numenor storyline, which I find myself really struggling to care about. We spend a lot of time there. We've got Farazan who yeah. has some interesting political ideas. We've got his son, Kemen and a sealed to her sister, Arian and, Whatever's going on with them and also a sealed door and his emo phase with his sailing bros, Valandil and R.I.P. Antimo <laughs> will be waiting mm -hmm. for you in the West. Not too attached to that. I got to say that was not my favorite. Ellen Deal and Muriel 
sure. She's blind now. That's some character development. I really liked Elendil. I thought that was good casting. I'm not really sure what his character did other than like look great and give stern looks at people and sail on a ship. I guess he's sort of like a leader, right? But he doesn't have any, correct me if I'm wrong, any sort of strong thing that he does in this season other than like go along with what the Numenorians and Galadriel are deciding to do. But yeah, I liked him still. Maybe that's just because he reminds me of Aragorn. He had that big reveal where he said, by the way, my name also means elf friend, which we all knew. (laughs) And there's that strange, pretty tension-filled, let's look opposite directions, long embrace in the bows of the ship. So something's going on there. True. I feel like there's still more to do in Numenor. Isildur has a brother that we haven't met. I don't know if he's going to show up. Eventually, Isildur has to found Gondor. So he's got a lot to do. There's a lot going on before I think what we can assume the conclusion of the fifth season would be. But one of the things that I I was left wanting more from was just kind of some closure from the finale, I think. Let's knock out the other plot line that I wasn't too fond of, which is our guy Rondir, the elf, Bronwyn and Theo. You didn't like that plot line? In the Southlands, this is supposed to be Arwen and Aragorn, you know, a human and an elf. We got a moody teenager. Okay, I kind of liked what we had going on here. So one of my favorite things about the season, my favorite storyline was the creation of Mordor and Mount Doom. And while there's things obviously within that storyline that I was like, ah, this works, this doesn't work. One thing that I was intrigued by was Arendir being captured by Adar and then trying to help the people flee and then the weird hilt thing and then that becomes the key that unlocks the trenches and Mount Doom erupts and is formed and Mordor happens. Yeah, Morgoth's Rube Goldberg machine is pretty cool. Right. I like that. Morgoth's Rube Goldberg machine. I liked all of that. I didn't mind it and maybe I didn't like the way it all ended. So Theo, what's going to happen with this guy, right? Maybe that'll be something that's answered in the last few seasons. I know there's a lot of theories about it, but I didn't hate learning about the Southlanders pre-Mordor. I liked the key. I liked that reveal, the Mount Doom ending of episode six, I think was one of the highlights of the season for sure. I'm more talking about the day-to-day and specifically the unbridled tension between the two that ends in that (laughs) passionate kiss that is as dirty as rings of power will get. And Theo, yes, he forms a special bond with that sword. It calls to him like the ring does. And I think that is just setting up. He's going to be a ring wraith at some point. That'd be my guess. I read this somewhere else, but I thought so too, because I was like, okay, one of these people is going to end up being evil. Like it doesn't feel like there's a happy ending here for everyone. Then I was like, hmm, Theo sounds like Theoden. Maybe there's some sort of bloodline situation happening there. He's going to go on to be part of the lineage of kings in Rohan. Yeah, he's got the mysterious missing father, which is always a great thing to pull out of your hat down the line. I'm sure that will be important. (laughs) But I found myself bored. And once the whole thing with Adar and he's going to attack them at the Watchtower, I knew we were setting up for... The Helm's Deep, Gandalf on the white horse moment where the Numenorians come in and bail them out at the last minute. It took the Numenorians half an episode to cross the entire map and show up right on time. 
Once again, pacing, a little questionable on that. But until that happened, it felt like treading water to me. Let's talk about some good stuff. Let's talk about some stuff we liked. I really enjoyed Adar the Uruk. Mm. Uruk. That was really spooky. I never thought he was Sauron. No, me neither. But I do love his positioning as another follower of Morgoth, an early antagonist, and someone for Sauron to fight with that's not one of our heroes. I agree. I think that sets up an interesting little turf war in the future over Mordor. Because it seems obvious before this show happened that Sauron created Mordor, but it's not the case. It was Morgoth's plan. It's Adar who did it. And also, as I pointed out to you a while back, there's the matching dark version of Gilgalad's armor. Yes. And I hope that we get to see those two share some scenes, maybe some flashbacks, who knows, but it seems like they know each other. Definitely. And I agree. I did like, I mean, it kind of goes along with the Southlanders storyline too, but I did really like this part of it. I liked seeing that origin story. And then ultimately what ended up being the showdown between him and Halbrand before the character reveal of the finale, I thought now having looked back at that scene was super interesting Mm -hmm. and tricky, tricky to write that too. I think you got to give credit to them for having a character like Halbrand and we can get to this. I think he's probably on the positive list, right? I put him in questionable just because there's so much going on there. Oh, okay. There's the things that I know that I really love about this show. And one of them is the best storyline to me, which is Durin and Elrond. Yeah. I agree with that. Love a good elf dwarf relationship. We got banter. We got rock chopping competitions. (laughs) Just guys being dudes. We've got Durin bluffing at the table, telling Gilglad that, hey, that that table is sacred to me. You should give it to me and have four dudes carry it all the way back to Casa Doom. What a way to con yourself into a live edge dining table. Those things go for like 10 grand on Etsy. Credit to Durin. Handcrafted by the elves. That was great. So... All of that dynamic, spending time in Casa Doom, which the CGI was top notch. I loved it. I could have used some more. Everything going on with Dern and his dad, the Mithril, give it to me. All of it. Disa, I think she was a great addition, a great new character. Disa's fantastic. The Mithril origin story, I know, ticked off a lot of diehard fans who didn't like that that was invented for the show. What do you think about that? Mithril was really elevated in this series. Mithril was always rare and coveted in Lord of the Rings. Frodo obviously has the coat that protects him. Even in the text, Sauron really liked Mithril, so people were always giving him Mithril. And now in this show, it's got all of the elves' essence. The rings are made out of it. And yes, this origin story, which is inspired by Glorfindel's fight, but then they put the Silmaril in a tree and Mm -hmm. lightning, and now it strikes into the mountains. Goes underground. I get it. This is the kind of thing that is strange because it's a great way to explain it to someone who's never read deeply into Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But anyone who has is going to say, no, no, no. Right. I think that... First off, it could be an invented story for the elves to be able to manipulate the dwarves into giving them something, right? By like staking claim on it. So I wonder if that's even something that will change. But yeah, I think that it's 
hard for the writers to make everyone happy between the casual viewers who are probably like, what the hell is Mithril? I don't really know anything about it. And for them to create this backstory that's easy to understand, but also versus the book readers who want everything to stay true to what Tolkien wrote and what he intended. And so I didn't mind it because I don't think it necessarily like changes too much. But I also thought the visuals of the scene with it were pretty cool. So that certainly didn't hurt either. What did you think of its electromagnetic ability to remove darkness from a leaf? It helps as a viewer in understanding what the hell's going on in the finale, I think. It's confusing if you're a casual fan watching and it's like, okay, the elves are immortal, but their race is fading. What does that mean? And okay, I guess this explains it easily. So you have this thing now that is going to stop that. So they're trying to get it. And so they forge it into these rings. I don't know. I think it kind of works. It makes sense. You know, again, I can see why people who are passionate book readers don't love anything being changed. But I think if you're just watching the show, it probably works fine. Yeah, I think the creators did a pretty good job of sourcing things from Tolkien and turning it into a show that makes sense. (laughs) None of the decisions they make scream to me, that's weird. I don't believe that. It all kind of fits, even if it's their own creation. But they should be allowed to do stuff like that because Tolkien's not going to come back and make this series. They're allowed to create their own characters, add properties to existing things. And just because we don't know for sure that Mithril was in the rings or had this power to banish darkness, I like it visually Although the leaf healing was comical. (laughs) Casa Doom looks fantastic. Numenor also looked fantastic. I'm excited to see more places down the line because they're really putting the time and effort into digitally rendering all these things. And let's get to something we haven't talked about yet. The Harfoots. Where are you at? I know we disagree on this, but I love the Harfoots. I would watch an entire series just about the Harfoots and their migration and their festivals and all their customs. And I just felt like they were super interesting and and charming and sweet. I really liked Nori and Poppy. You know, it has the shades of Frodo and Sam. I liked the stranger mystery throughout. You know, like one of the reasons I kept watching was because I was like, I really want to find out who that is because I had my theories and my theory ended up being probably right. Although we still don't entirely know by the end of the finale who that character is, but we know he's probably a wizard. I really liked it and I was interested by it. I also think we got to see a lot of Middle Earth through the eyes of these characters and lots of different places on the map. And I also really loved the song that Poppy sang in the fifth episode. I thought that was a very Tolkien-esque moment in the show. Yeah, hobbits are always supposed to represent what you're fighting for in The Lord of the Rings. It's what Frodo is always thinking back on wistfully of his time in the Shire. Strawberries. (laughs) There was some of that for me, but also this nomadic lifestyle they have and the way that they just leave people to die and then act like they all do it together, except for the ones that are dead. Let's not talk about them. (laughs) (laughs) We do have Nori and Poppy, the female Frodo and Sam. Poppy better go running off after Nori. I agree. To start off season two. There's no way we're separating those two. And yes, the stranger, the stranger who falls from the sky. 
as soon as he arrived and he's with the hobbits and he's got powers. Yeah. You got to think it's Gandalf, even though what most people are saying is the hiccup in that is that, oh, well, Gandalf doesn't show up until the third age, blah, blah, blah. Clearly, that's not being strictly adhered to. So if your only argument against it is a timeline. I'm not with that. But in the finale, just there's the moth. Mm-hmm. And he says he's going to follow his nose, which are two yeah. Gandalf symbols. Very Gandalfian. Headed off on a mission with two hobbits. Seems like Gandalf to me. There's also a possibility he's one of the blue wizards, which we don't meet in Lord of the Rings, but we know that they exist somewhere in the East. So I think that could still play out. But I do think, again, the show's being made for people who are both book readers and more casual fans. And I think Gandalf, played by Sir Ian McKillen, is one of the most legendary, recognizable characters from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So it makes sense to include him in the show. I also think that there were parts of this storyline where I was intrigued by the mystery of it, but I wasn't entirely understanding the mechanisms of it. Like, why he didn't remember certain things and like couldn't speak. And then by the final episode, he was, he kind of found his powers. But then at the same time, he let Sadduk die. That was like the most confusing thing. I'm like, aren't you supposed to be magical? How come you can't help this guy who's dying right there? I mean, maybe he can't save lives. I don't know. It just felt like maybe we could try. He conveniently had nothing to say on the subject. They didn't even ask him. <laughs> so right. he was not available for comment on that. I agree. It just makes sense from a creative perspective to spend time with a character we know. Yeah. They latched on to Elrond and Galadriel. Those are the two main characters of the show. It turns out it was Sauron the whole time, not some new guy. We've got a sealed door, the moody teenager who's going to be very important at some point. It would be likely to be Gandalf. It could be something else, but I'm leaning pretty hard that way after the finale. It could also be Saruman. Sure. Or Radagast. I guess it could be another wizard if the timeline thing doesn't matter, which it doesn't because the creators have already said that they're compressing the timelines together, which I think makes sense because you're making a TV show over five seasons. It's not going to span centuries. Remains to be seen. But I did really like the Harfoots and I liked the guy that looked like Stugatz. Yes. Nori's dad (laughs) with the bad foot. Super Bowl week, gout, stump foot. (laughs) Moderna, mom died. It's a tough time. Foot broke, migration, star fall. All right, before we leave the Harfoots, got to talk about the cultists. Yeah. The ascetic, the nomad, the dweller. What the hell is going on? That's the biggest mystery of the show. I guess they're the cult of Sauron. So they're looking for Sauron and they think that The wizard is Sauron because he falls out of the sky and that's a sign that the time of Sauron has come. So they're magical and they worship him, I guess. And their goal is to turn people away from the elves and the Valar and towards evil and Sauron. And so I guess that was what they were. But again, wasn't a great explanation as a whole of like who they are and where they came from. They kind of just came and went. And then I assume we'll see more of them in the future. But Probably some explanation would have helped. But the problem was that these characters only interacted with the wizard who had no vocabulary and the Harfoots who don't interact with big folk. So how are we supposed to find out who they are without getting to spend time with them in some sort of explainy way? Yeah, it's not clear if they're dead or they were banished to some other realm. They're from Rune. 
they show the stranger the star map and tell him to go to Rune, and that's where we're headed. And Rune is essentially a blank slate, so maybe there's 20 more cultists out there. That's the biggest question mark to me is, who are they? Where are they from? What do they do? And why did they say, whoops, guess it's in a story, our bad. <laughs> we're out of here. Bye. And we've dilly-dallied long enough. The bulk of this show comes down to Hal Brand and Galadriel. Hal and Gal, yeah. as the creators affectionately dub them. So J.D. Payne, Patrick McKay, they went on the Ringerverse in an interview with Joanna Robinson. They cited a line from the Mirror of Galadriel chapter. This is Galadriel speaking to Frodo. I perceive the Dark Lord and know his mind or all of his mind that concerns the elves. And he gropes ever to see me and my thought, but still the door is closed. So he leaned on this line pretty hard to establish that there was a pre-existing relationship between Sauron and Galadriel. Still the door is closed. I perceive the Dark Lord. He gropes ever to me. And that's how they built the foundation of the show. And I like it, Jess. I'm with it. I like it too. The mystery of who this character was and why he was getting so much screen time for someone that we don't know as book readers or movie watchers was super compelling to me. I thought he was a very well portrayed character. I thought Charlie Vickers, the actor, played it really well where you couldn't really entirely tell if he was good or bad. And he certainly said things that were very Sauron-esque early on and used words that were kind of like, huh? But the way the character was played, I think it was hard to tell until the very end when you're like, holy shit, that guy's super evil. He's a bad person. It's also interesting to see Galadriel as a character who's not completely who she is yet in The Lord of the Rings, which is someone who understands the limits to accepting power, being close to power because she's been tempted by Sauron. And she's even in a way to blame for Sauron coming back because she convinced Halbrand to come back to Middle Earth with her and all these other things. And I think that that's a really compelling origin story for that character too. I enjoyed this. I enjoyed the way that the characters played off each other. I really liked Galadriel. I thought she was a great character. And it was a good choice to make these two the stars of the show because they had the most fully fleshed out motivations. You understood the character's motivations from Galadriel's side. And then from Halbrand's side, you were trying to guess them, which I think was a good way to play off of that. Galadriel starts the show off talking about Sauron as an absolute. That's the Sauron we're familiar with, is a big eye in the sky of evil. No humanity left, nothing left that's redeemable. So the portrayal of him as someone who, like you said, is a little bit of both, kind of one foot in, one foot out the door, and Galadriel as well, was perfect because binaries are not very interesting. Playing in the middle of the shades of gray is what most good storytelling is about, is people figuring out who they are. So to have Sauron, definitely some bad ideas. He can't see the difference between saving and ruling. He thinks power is all that matters. So mm -hmm. that waited till the finale to be revealed, but he is redeemable. And if somebody were to do it, it might be Gladriel's light that is in play, but I like disguising him within the narrative. I like the reveal that he is this character. He has been there the whole time. 
going to bring up once again, I do think that him being injured, them riding a horse six days yeah. to a region. Weird timeline. He's immediately better in talking to Keller Brimbor and giving him a gift in about seven minutes. That was a little quick. Could have spent a little more time doing that. Yeah. But I liked the twist. I liked the dynamic. And I'm cool with Sauron not being all bad right away. I think one thing you said was interesting, and that's what I think I liked about these two characters together, which is that Galadriel sees things as good and bad. So there's the good people, the elves trying to fight the evil and then the bad, which is Sauron or Morgoth or both at the same time. She's so convinced of this binary that she doesn't realize that something bad could be right in front of her dressed plainly and disguised. And so in trying just to be against all the bad things, she's kind of inviting this evil to get closer to her without realizing it because she doesn't understand that the enemy that she's seeking has this multi-dimensional, multi-faceted personality that she actually has more in common with than she realizes. So it's set up for a really interesting reveal at the end. I thought as far as like the pacing goes of the episode, yeah, it was confusing, but I liked what they did with him entering her mind and putting them back on the raft together and all of those scenes. I thought that that was really interesting and him impersonating her brother and trying to convince her to go with him Mm -hmm. to be his queen. I liked all that. I thought it worked. And I think that it sets up the stakes to be even higher for what we know comes next, which is a war between all of the elves and the men and the evil people of Mordor. Adar as well. He had that moment where he talked about orcs are people too. Uruks are people too. (laughs) (laughs) They need their own home. That's why he's creating Mordor. Yeah. Not necessarily buying it, but once again, not everything is absolute. He's not out there just to kill people for no reason. He's doing it because he's trying to give his children a home, which anybody can relate to, any parent. But yes, we're entering the long night. Oh, sorry. Wrong show. We're entering (laughs) a nice hibernation. Winter is coming. We've been promised Sauron flashbacks in season two. Now that the cat's out of the bag, they're going to dive into his character a bit more. And I'm excited for that whenever that day comes. Any final thoughts, Jessica? Final thoughts. I mean, I know we just talked about things we didn't like. I did really enjoy it. I thought it was a good show. I liked what the creators did for the most part. And I think it's probably pretty difficult to do all of the things they wanted to do in one season and in eight episodes. And I think their ideas and the themes of Tolkien stories came across. One of the reasons I really like Lord of the Rings is because even though it's often a really scary, intense story and there's a lot at stake, it's just a much more pleasant world to be in than I think Westeros or or some of the other fantasy places that we've had shows made about in the last few years. And I just really enjoy Middle Earth and I enjoy the spirit of the goodness of Middle Earth. Probably why I like the Harfoot so much. But overall, I I really enjoyed it. I'll probably rewatch it at some point. And I'm pretty pleased. I agree completely. It's a very different tone than Westeros. One, you've got a dude jerking off to feet. And the other, you've got... (laughs) Tender kisses under an orchard tree. Oh my God. Imagine Larius in the Shire. I mean, he basically was Stugat's the dad. It's the same same type of limp. So maybe they could have hung out, but I enjoyed it too. I think that the creators have a massive undertaking that they're trying to accomplish here. We talked about that a little bit. The scope, the scale, they're backed by a billion dollars, but sometimes a billion dollars isn't enough for 10 episodes. (laughs) That's not their fault. And 
I'm excited for season two. I'm excited for the five season run. And until the next Alliance of Elves and Men, Jessica, I bid you farewell. Farewell, Anthony. Wherever you fare till your Iries receive you at journey's end. wrestling thing you got going on with him like uh anyways we really not like him <laughs> oh nah nah i always text him i'll be like hey bro i said fuck you on this it's cool well that'll do it for another episode of mystery crew be sure to check out all the podcasts <laughs> and, and friends podcast network that's it yeah we just heard andor and uh yeah, no, it was rings great. of power Time flew yeah no yeah. it's a good one flying right, uh yeah. billy gill what's on stupidity and god bless football this week uh, so this week on Stupidity, we talked to two comedians that host this podcast called Hammered Heroes that highlights sports performances by people who are either drunk, hungover, or on drugs. Uh, and then on God Bless Football, idea. we talked to Jason Taylor, which was Ooh. exciting. Uh, we talked coaching, to Chip Kelly. On the coaching staff at the University of Miami. That's right. Enjoy. We talked to Chip Kelly before his big game in, uh, back in Oregon. And uh, we talked to Chris Sims, who was upset with me because I was not there for the recording because I was at a Miami Marlins taco and margarita tasting for their event that they're having next weekend. So he was right, not happy good. about that. TFTI. <laughs> yeah, for real. I don't know what that means. means thanks, thanks for the invite. The invite. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, I heard that Jer Bear was jealous. Chris Cody yeah. told me, I don't know if I should be putting this business out there, but I heard <clears> that Jer Bear was, was not yeah. thrilled that he didn't go, that he wanted to go or something. Well, Jer Bear's too busy now. He's too yeah. big time for us. Yeah. Jer Bear, how about Bear, huh? By the way, in terms of plugs, he, yeah. he, he makes his Heat television debut Saturday for the Heat game. I don't know who they're playing. Mm. But he'll, how about, he'll, he'll be on the telly. How about none of us getting invited to his bachelor party? I mean, yeah. yeah. That was, no, well, it's... No, 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 Juju It's worse. No, no, no. It's worse than that. Juju can tell you. But from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like there was a half-ass front-end invite. And then once oh, he was in wow. town, there was maybe like a lazy, not really... Juju would know better than me. Oh, I'm just hey, I'm I don't know anything. in town in 30 minutes. Where are you? Fuck out of here. I'm going out of town. and I'm going to Gainesville. Yeah, Juju oh, was... Yeah. In the swamp. <laughs> oh, that's oh right. wow. So wow. yeah, salute to Jared Bear, Tashay three thousand. But you, sir, are the joker of the week for not having <laughs> wow. me front and center in your bachelor party is, or yeah. either at your wedding. Salute to your beautiful bride, though. This is the first negative news in Jeremy's career, right here. <laughs> like, everything in his career has been positive. Do you outside. think he'll crumble? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, he's not Roy, what's up, Moco, this week? We have Phoenix Suns assistant GM Morgan Cotto. She's the first woman of color to be hired as an assistant GM. So uh, she's making <laughs> history there. Yes, sir, Ski. Juju, now a prominent part of MoCo. Yes, sir. I mean, salute to everybody over there. Salute to Paul. Salute to Danny. Flamingo, I see you, my brother. He always <laughs> gets the videos done. He had also, termites. Yeah, he didn't have termites. Right? <laughs> Danny? Two weeks. two weeks he was knocked out with termites. Yeah. 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 You got to put a two-minute sponsor. Yeah. 
And I want to say salute to that boy. One second. Salute to the boys. Uh, do goods on Twitter. I see you, my brother. You always support the show. Also, Jaxman904. Get well soon. We got your back, brother. Chris Cody, what's on Cinephile? Cinephile, we talk, we're talking uh, Scream, the classic horror movie. We're talking the new Martin Scorsese doc. But the real sell is Adnan telling the best story that he's... I, since I've been doing this podcast, he mm. had a dent in his car and some guy on the highway was like, hey, I'll fix it for this much. And he was like getting estimates way higher than that so he actually like followed some guy off the highway to fix it it, it ends up <laughs> being a wild story of like the guy saying a price and then like trying to charge you more after the work is done it is and adnan's like the nicest guy in the world so just like imagine that predicament so like it is a great story honestly <laughs> spilly <laughs> tony juju plug the mma thing one more time no UFC the mma thing not dismissive jeez what do you mean oh, yeah that it was a little Actually, not the I'm point different. the point is ufc 280 the mma hangout me and juju and probably lewis from his house uh and maybe chris cody i don't know if what time is it at what time is it at two oh, o'clock saturday p.m no, yeah, yeah. but yeah, PM. Mm. And pull up. If you want to watch college football, you want to watch yeah. UFC for free. Hey, you just want meet the boys. The exactly. Guys, the real sell is meeting yeah. the boys. Exactly. That's the sell. That's the sell. 2 p.m. Big things. Sky Buckhead. Yeah. All the strolls will be in my pocket. You know what I mean? <laughs> let's go. Thousands of strolls. So let's do this. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode of Mystery Crate. Witty, what do you have going on? Oh, exactly. I mean. We I, love you, brother. Uh, Witty, how does it feel that Jeremy, like, like you were like our broadcasty TV guy in our team, and now Jeremy's coming in, he gets the heat job. Are you mm, feeling a little like, how's, yeah. this, like, how's the tension now? Now that you're on the decline, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I feel thrilled for Jeremy. That's a great gig for him to have. So, uh, Ooh, can we play, can we play a quick fist. game with you? Can we play a quick game yeah, with you? Sure. <laughs> okay. The Arthur. So when you were, when you were out oh, the other day, we were talking about Bob Costas, and someone on the show, I don't remember who it was, said that if you could have a purge and legally murder three broadcasters oh, yeah, to better that. your Somebody career, it was, Bob it, it was you. Be it was you. you yeah. said oh, was that. it? Someone <laughs> said it. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that so do you great, have do you have a so list could, of the three that you would eliminate to better your career? I, we should all play this game. <laughs> no, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. No. <laughs> I am not murdering any broadcasters. It's a purge. It's fine. It's hypothetical. Yeah. It's legal. <laughs> I'm so not like, murdering anybody. I'm not murdering anybody. Okay, let's let's play a game called uh, Extinct Eagle. Which eagle <laughs> would you like to make extinct first? American Eagle or Noah uh, or Bolden or Jaws? Ooh, <laughs> Jaws Bald. or American Jawski? Yeah, yeah, no, it was a no, good no. I, I thought it was a great joke. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Uh, extinct Eagle. Well, it should be endangered species is a better name. Yeah, this yeah, game. yeah. yeah. Endang yeah. Endangered species. Uh. No. Whoa! <laughs> oh no! I gotta go. I can't be accomplice to this. We're no. all accomplices. If we go missing. I know nothing. I didn't hear. I haven't talked to anybody. I don't know anything yeah, about anything. Yeah, I haven't yeah, talked yeah. to anybody. I've never seen no way you go my life. Nice Please look every. Please look every guy trying to do for an honest. Okay, goodbye. Okay, goodbye. Calabaza, calabaza. I love sports. I love beer. I love watching sports and drinking beer at the same time. So when I turn on a hockey game and need something to quench my thirst, I reach for the beer that only has 96 calories. Miller Lite. A lot's changed over the years. One thing that hasn't, the great taste of Miller Lite. It was the original light beer, and to this day, it's still the best one. Miller Lite has more of the taste that you want, and less of the stuff that you don't. 
Bella Light keeps it simple. Undebatable quality, great taste, only 96 calories. It's the beer that strips away everything that you don't need and holds on to what matters most. The original light beer since 1975. Times change, but you can always enjoy the great taste of Miller Lite. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right at your door, visit MillerLite.com crate. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces.